0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our digital space where we explore the two thousand year old Catholic intellectual tradition. Uh, we've been gone for a little while. It's been a little bit of a hiatus for us, but we're back now here in 2024, uh, getting started with a bang. I'm joined today by uh, a good friend, uh, uh, Mr. Joseph Grossheim, uh, and also Dr. Richard Buzza-Kelly. Um We're going to talk about important intellectual, philosophical, political developments of the last year uh, in 2023 i think a couple things happened in that right gentlemen yeah a few a few i mean i think uh even at the very end there like right we got like a christmas surprise uh you know like midway through december uh you know uh right as we're all just sort of getting ready to celebrate the holiday but but it's been an eventful uh i mean uh, well, isn't it like some sort of ancient curse to you know wish someone to, that they live in eventful times, interesting times, interesting yeah. times? That's right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we must be highly cursed and living <laughs> interesting times. Uh, really, from yeah, you know, it just seems like one thing after another. I, I would say the acceleration of of events and intensity to me kind of traces back to the election of uh, was it Donald Trump in twenty sixteen. Uh, which is like made everything that was already sort of a conflict, like triply intense or something, you know, Uh, just everything got ratcheted up uh, uh, for sure. But I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, you know, every year has uh, it's important changes, developments. I do think in modernity uh, because of the kind of availability of communication, availability of information, uh, maybe there's more changes or just maybe more aware of uh deep and significant changes happening but i also think it kind of accelerates it i do think oh, the con- i think for sure yeah the institution is
1: sure an acceleration because yeah. there's a technological capacity for it that's right that's right that yeah before yeah, the, yeah it just wasn't
0: so where, whereas it took a long time maybe for things to develop uh in the past now you know they can uh you can even have you know sort of like almost like flash riots mobs right <laughs> <laughs> organized uh <laughs> Uh, I know that in some northern cities, there's even a phenomena of uh, teenagers getting together and organizing, uh, like, um, you know, uh, I guess almost like raids on stores in certain (laughs) areas. You know, like they'll get on Snapchat and some other uh, um, social communication channels and just organize like these, like... Events where they'll just go rush a bunch of stores and just grab stuff out of the stores, looting, run, yeah, looting, basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. And because there's so many of them, there's really nothing you can do about it, right? Or very little, you know. I mean, you know, what's a store clerk going to (laughs) do? Like get a fight with thirty teenagers? No, right. I mean, take it, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. uh, So, anyways, organized crime, a whole new category. Uh, (laughs) That's that is very good. Yeah, well put. So today we want to kind of go over some of those things. Look at. uh, you know uh, some of the major changes in culture, politics, theology uh, that we've seen. Certainly, I think we could say that one trend that's carried over really. Um, you know, it's it's funny. It just kind of got kicked off. Um, oh, Joe, you might be better at remembering this, but there was this uh, famous athlete uh, connected to the car, um, the Kardashians. Uh, who became? Why would young, I remember? I don't know. Well, because you're younger. Uh, <laughs> don't follow the Kardashians. What the, the, uh, was uh, Jenner? Uh, what was his name? Oh or? no!
2: Yeah, uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Is that yeah, yeah.
0: When Caitlyn Jenner happened, him? like it was interesting. Like the transsexual <laughs> thing almost had a, like an official rollout. You know, like yeah. you know when 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 that happened when Jenner uh, went through you know this pu- very public sex change. Right. It was just like all of a sudden transsexuality became a big deal. Right. And certainly that's carried through uh, into this year to some uh, this past year uh, to some degree. And then, you know, issues connected to it. um, uh, Certainly uh, issues connected to, say, um, marriage, declining uh, birth rates, um, all those sorts of things. Uh, Also, last year, 2022, the year before last, we had the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We've seen a lot of the blowback from there. So there's a lot of area there that you know where connects sort of sexual morality, pro culture of life, those sorts of of issues that we've seen bubble up in the last year. I've been interested to see a couple of things, and Joe, I'll kind of get your reaction to this. But uh, in particular, right, you know, that uh, there has been a real reassertion of the support for abortion by uh large segments of the american population right um, that is like a really doubling down like once roe v wade was kind of surprisingly overturned perhaps uh there was like no like this is a fundamental right and we're not going I mean you hear that language used about abortion that is a fundamental right and that you know there's been some electoral victories uh on that side right uh in in connection to um, uh abortion Uh, In particular, he's also seen sort of, I think, interestingly, um, along with that, a strong assertion of the positive values of being a dink, right, or being involved in dink culture, which is an acronym, right, for dual income, no kids, right, that is that uh, it's better to, to have a childless life. Right, uh, and you'll see, you know, young people sort of celebrate, the, you know, people in their 20s celebrating this sort of thing, right? Those sorts of things to me seem, you know, somewhat connected. Joe, what are your what are your thoughts?
2: Well, this is my first thought was that back to like our interesting times. I I I do think that the 2016 election, what it, I don't think that it introduced a lot of new questions, but I think that uh, for better or for worse, I mean, it probably could have done it. It could have been done better for sure, but. What Trump did for us was he he made it okay to talk about these things. And so the Internet, I think, has been a big facilitator for these discussions. um, And that's certainly true. But I think there's a lot of courage that the right has found since then, uh, because they've got somebody who's willing to say things, certainly in ways that I think that most of us wouldn't want to say it. But that gives us the sort of space we need to have these conversations more publicly. And so that that leads us to be able to do things like uh, overturn Roe v. Wade and be proud about it, not apologetic about it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, I think the reaction is predictable, of course, Mm -hmm. that they would want to reinforce their arguments in favor of abortion they they need to because for the first time in a long time we're winning on front. (laughs) Uh, and it feels good right Sure. um so but the 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 driving issue behind uh people that are interested in abortion rights so-called uh and i think dink culture that you mentioned is old uh right it goes back to the separation of uh the human good from any sense of real responsibility. Right. right. And our sexual nature, uh, JP two points this out, right. That mm. our sexual nature is rooted in responsibility. And then you even have, um, popular folks today, like Jordan Peterson really trying to push the value of a life that has some responsibility in it. Mm. Right. Uh, but they're pushing back against that. And it's, it's from the, one of the, you know, the oldest ethical problem in the book, which is to seek simple gratification over sure. and against that long, hard, arduous good, uh, that the human good really consists in.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ever old, ever new. I think.
0: Um, <laughs> well, One of the things that's interesting about, uh, some of the videos you can find on YouTube, like if you want to, uh, find this kind of stuff, it's very easy. I just go on, you know, um, uh, YouTube and say life without kids, you know, just put that in, or life with no kids, right? And it, it'll bring up all of this uh sort of very pro no kids, right? And the you know the the themes always are look at look at the uh the vacation I got to go on, yeah. look at the look at right? the, Recon, adventure, the freedom, yeah, look at the adventure, the biking adventure I went on, look at all the backpacking adventure I went on, look at all these fun things and creative yeah. things I'm able to do because I don't have kids. Right. And, yeah. You know, the restaurants you could eat at because your kids won't complain. That's right. <laughs>
2: That's and, right. and that that is especially acerbated by the internet and social media, mm-hmm. right? Where to be on social media is to share your adventures. That's what most people understand, <laughs> right?
0: Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And
2: as, as a young person who, you know, is at least familiar with like online dating culture and stuff, mm-hmm. that that. Your, your profile needs to have that sort of thing in there. You To be a, <laughs> if there's a marketable bachelor. Picture. <laughs> what's that?
1: Right. Sorry. You're not standing on a mountain summit. Somewhere. Exactly.
2: That's right. Yeah. That needs to be somewhere <laughs> well, preeminent. You know, you've you got to be a mountaineer and a kayaker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, uh, yeah. I mean, being a world traveler um, is really valuable right now. I don't know why that that is a thing.
0: I heard somebody Um, say that uh, experiences have replaced the Corvette.
2: Yeah, and I I so I understand that experiences over things. Sure, that's good. I think. I mean, Um, I could
1: yeah, I could get that too. I think, in fact, that's a legitimate pushback. I would say against materialist culture, right? Right.
0: Um, unless the unless the, the vacation is, it's. I think you could. Yes, it is. And though it could also be the case that the vacation just becomes another commodity. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: that the social media thing does that, right? Because you're on the vacation, but you're looking at it through the, the lens of the camera on your phone. Right. Not yeah. actually having the experience. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah the, the plan is to go there and take the pictures. You plan out what you're going to wear on the mountain, you know. <laughs> like uh,
0: post it on Instagram or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Do you see, uh, when we think about these things, to my mind, I think there is uh, some connection with dual income, no kids, you know, abortion culture. Um, and then also, you know, sort of uh, kind of. Irregular forms of sexuality, um, what ties them all together to me, right, is a departure from um, what I consider sort of a natural ordering towards sexuality, uh, in which the, the view very much is the reproduction of children, right? That is that reproduction of, human, of the species, right? That is that we mm-hmm. want to have children. We come together to have children. We want to develop the virtues that are apt for having children and for cooperating with a spouse over a long period of time to have a household, right? Those are the, you know, we think about traditional human life, right? And even sort of dramatic stories about human life. Dramatic stories about human life very often revolve around falling away from that order or trying to save that order or trying to restore that order. Right. Uh, you know, uh, that order is just kind of what human life is right. Uh, for a great deal of it, you know, which is just the routines of, of, uh, the cycle of reproduction, production, uh, industry economy, all of that is tied into, um, which you could call something like natalism, right. That is, an affirmative view of it sounds so stale. Let's put it this way, but I, I like to put it this way: the 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 preservation of the species, right? Like it literally is the preservation of the species, right? Yeah. That we're talking about, as well as at a more personal level. I know this sounds weird, but it's, it's something I, I didn't sort of believe when I was younger, and I would read Aristotle on this, but the replication of oneself. In one's children, right? Are the replications of one's ancestors in their children? You know, like I see a lot of my grandparents in my children, you know, and there's a sense in which, not to be a pagan about it, but there's a sense in which, you know, my family continues in my my offspring, right? And I think that's a very natural way that most people have thought about their ancestors and their children. Right. That seems very absent to our own consideration of these matters, that there's actually sort of like a duty and maybe not even just a duty, an honor, a pleasure. Yeah. Continue one's family. Right. I I want to do this because I love my family. What Mm -hmm. what
2: strikes me about that is that uh, back to the experiences over things, right. Uh, There's an experience that you're having raising your children, right. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. I think is really valuable and isn't really I guess, understood or perhaps marketed. It's certainly not marketed mm-hmm. at all, right? Sure. I think that the driving force against antinatalism is this sort of life without responsibility, the acquisition mm-hmm. of simple pleasures, right? It's a very baseline and almost animalistic way of being human. right? right. But even this thing that you're talking about, which is also very animalistic, right? Reproduction, sure. right? We have right. that in common with the animals. But nonetheless, the experience that you're describing is not just the fact that one has self-replicated
0: right sure sure but yeah, that yeah,
2: yeah. i've i've got uh, a human being here from my lineage and just to add to it right one that is not just produced and left alone that you just kind of watch right from the outside but that you can you can direct and you can be witness to and delight in their accomplishments like in sure. the way i the only an, analogy i have right now is a teacher over students right but sure. yes. you can yeah, witness yeah, yeah. when you can witness somebody achieve something mm-hmm. uh, that's i think really special and when mm-hmm. when parents get together when i'm together with parents who have kids they love to talk about what their kids have done <laughs> it brings them so much joy uh-huh. and i yeah it's it's unfortunate that the uh, a dink would mm. would miss that right the what they can share is what their husband or their wife or yeah. you know what they've accomplished but that's just another adult right it's yes i think it's very different when it's a child that's growing into this especially under your care
0: yeah yeah that's part of you and not part of you yeah right? it's like like there's a it is in a certain it's an extension of you but it's more than an extension of you uh and uh, i think like terms like heritage and legacy matter a lot there right you think of i have a i think of myself as as being blessed to be part of my family and there's a legacy that i want to hand on to my kids that i want to see them hand on right um but i think yeah a lot of that's maybe missing from the way we talk about family and children
2: yeah and it's it's difficult i think because the more we shift towards dink culture Um, Mm -hmm. I think it just becomes harder to live the sort of uh, life that has say a lot of children. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I don't know the economic impacts of this, but I've mentioned this before. I think that uh, as the market shifts towards the balance of this dual income, no kids uh, family, I guess Mm -hmm. I can call them a family. Right. Um, I think it, it becomes harder to compete with that. If you are a cop, trying to raise five sure. kids at home
0: right right uh,
2: your life on the outside does not look like you're having the good sort of experiences that people uh-huh. have even yeah. though you are right <laughs> you get to you get to witness your your son drive a screw for the first time you sure know? Yeah. uh okay. but that doesn't look as flashy as getting <laughs> a 16 year old like a brand new car uh-huh. or going to paris or something like that yeah
1: so um it's interesting because, you know, we've been seeing the push in the direction of the dink economy has actually been happening for a long time, sure. right? I mean, you go back to the expectation starting in the 1980s that mm-hmm. women would be in the workplace just as much as men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to the way it once was, right, where if women were in the workplace at all, you um, it was um, it was typically transient right until they got married or it was right. as um, as part of a, an immediate family um, business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of the and you know it wasn't that it, women didn't like just have jobs that's that's not the case but it, it wasn't that wasn't what people aspired to right They wanted yeah, to be sure you wanted to like not have to do that. But then, starting in the, you know, really in the 80s, this push for this expectation that women, of course, will have careers, right? Just like men. Mm -hmm. Um, That created a situation in which it was no longer really possible for most people to get by as middle class citizens, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, On a single income.
0: Yeah. There's a really, there's some really good examples about this. Uh, I'll have to dig it out and maybe put it in the show notes, but there's a, uh, um, there was a a British uh, TV sort of comedy from that. I think what was supposed to have taken place, like say in the 1940s, 1950s, which featured uh, a father of a family who was a bus driver in England. And as a bus driver in England Mm -hmm. at that time in the 1950s, he could afford a three bedroom house Mm -hmm. and for his wife, to uh, to not uh, work full-time. I think she had some sort of side work she did, but her primary work was domestic. And he had several kids, all on that one, in mostly on that one income. And, and they actually have gone to the place where the this was studied, or where it was filmed. I'm sorry, the original uh, 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 sitcom. It lasted for several seasons. But the house that was featured there couldn't possibly be afforded now. By a bus driver it would they said it's like five bus drivers to afford it now right where in the 1950s it was actually realistic the the wage was high enough the it was actually realistic or the housing was affordable if however you want to cut it uh that uh, a bus driver could on one income purchase a home if you know anybody that's, that lives in england or have ever been to england actually home ownership is very rare um yeah in in England Uh,
1: well increasingly in the United States too we now have this problem where um, like Gen Zers right Um, and late millennials now find themselves in a position where they really can't imagine ever being able to afford (laughs) to buy a home Mm
0: -hmm. right
1: so their sights are now set on um, this is in the United States Mm
0: -hmm. their
1: sights are now set on renting Right mm-hmm. and and the DINK um, advantage, right, is that they can go for these luxury rentals that they offer, but still home mm-hmm. ownership, nah.
0: Yeah, DINKs are less likely to want a yard, right? What's that? they less likely to want a yard. Yeah. Right. Right, and you in know?
1: all the developments that are going up, there's not. That's much what going I was to gonna to say. say. Yeah,
0: like really the,
2: going the to new, new going to to developments are gonna respond to what the market wants, right? And if the market wants. More luxurious apartments, or uh, they don't want yards, then the development will sure. not have yards, or it will be more luxurious. And then you've got your cop with five kids who can't. And <laughs> <buy something laughs> that sort of right. developers they're are building; they're
1: building developments for rentals, not for, rentals, mm-hmm. not for sale. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: so tell yeah. me what you think, tell me what you think about this. Uh, you know, if we we see sort of like that kind of departure from what we might consider a natural. Natal order. And if you think about economy, right, and economics and society and culture in general, right, if you think that the family, the natural family, right, is the basic unit, right, that things should be organized in such a way to make that possible, right? And to at least, at least make it, at least to to sort of facilitate the formation of family, right? Um, Yes, distributism. Yeah, or something like it. Right? Yeah. Mm. Um the uh we could get uh so uh, maybe our friend Phil on and, and, and debate those points. But uh the um uh you know, I think a similar sort of uh line of worry could or you know concern could be connected to, you know, sort of the developments we've seen uh recently in the tech field, right? Um where you know we see um you know sort of the development of uh AI, um, the development of uh, sort of things related to AI. We see both the ubiquity of social media as well as sort of the censorship of social media, which is kind of uh uh in touch with each other. I wonder sometimes, and I think that some you know that there, I think sometimes that there are maybe aspects of the tech world that sort of push against um a more natural order for human beings right that kind of sort of separates us uh to some degree from the um the natural order of things and just even sort of human nature right so you know one thing that we've one thing that was interesting right during covid is we discovered i think a lot of people discovered that internet connections are not sufficient right that is there, there, you know, there was all of a sudden a big push towards hey, let's do church on te- uh, uh by internet, let's do friendship by internet, let's do all these things by internet, education overwhelmingly by internet, et cetera. And people found that, you know, that that's okay, but it's not actually enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was a moment where there was some reassertion, right? Uh, you know, I mean pretty well well uh recognized from now by most educational experts, right? That that this was bad for kids right
2: yeah Uh, that it did not
0: it did not work well uh for their educational outcomes uh do do you guys see anything connected there in terms of you know obviously we've talked some there's there's been a longer uh, conversation about transhumanism right that is using technological devices and computers to replace parts of human nature that are deficient or weaker or anything uh, along those lines. Anything in the last year that maybe makes you think about that?
1: I think well, that. Yeah, go ahead. I think that we have. Um, well, let's winding things back to that 2016 event, mm-hmm. right? Um, the black swan event of the of the the Trump election. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I remember talking uh, about then. Was that there was this expectation on the part of people like you and me uh, that we would see as a consequence of that phenomenon a kind of um, a kind of uh, falling out of allegiances, right? Basically, mm-hmm. um, a realignment, right, of sure. of people's. Um, people kind of choosing sides right we we mm-hmm. kind of expected i think at the time that that traditional categories would begin to deconstruct and people would sort of take you know sides in another way and in fact that that is what happened to a great extent but i think that that bifurcation in society that we began to see then where you know the it, it and it wasn't as if 2016 was the the moment at which it happened but because I, I remember commenting on this phenomenon before that, several mm-hmm. years before that. Um but I what I saw was the middle, right, which used to be this vast swath of society mm-hmm. um with only a few people on either fringe, right? The middle started to drop out, it became just shrinking down until um until really the two sides, I don't really want to call them left and right for the sake of this discussion, but whatever those two sides are culturally right um they um they became it, it seemed as if you were on one or the other side right this sort mm-hmm. of tribalization of society and i think that we we continue to see that we saw that continue to happen throughout 2023 um and one of the interesting things that touches on the discussion we've been having so far really is that on the one hand, right, after Roe v. Wade was overturned which was considered a huge triumph for people like you and me Mm -hmm. um, we also saw a pushback against it Sure, with some predictable results we also see um, even though you've got you've got gender theory going strong in certain circles you've also got I think, a pushback against that as well. Mm -hmm. And um, similarly with, you know, the related concept of the related issue of um, the dink culture, feminism and so forth, you've got pushback against that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're starting to see a few things happen in society. you You began to see this really over the last year. There was a trad wife, um, social phenomenon sure. yeah. on TikTok yeah. that i heard of yeah yeah <clears throat> and what that's pointing to is i think this 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 other thing i heard it put like this um uh, i think it was called um soft girl or something right the soft the rise of the soft girl basically a soft girl is the non-feminist the soft girl is the 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 woman who wants to be um she wants to live a much more traditionally feminine life that doesn't involve having a career uh, outside the home right it involves being married and having children it's this sort of trad wife thing
2: sure
1: um there's there are now people coming out and just sort of saying that
2: That's in true. contrast
1: yeah. to 20 years ago when i first sure. started teaching in higher ed and i remember this young woman came to my office she was one of my students She was getting ready to graduate, and she was obviously distraught. You know, she had tears in her eyes and everything. And I asked her what the problem was. And um, basically the problem was that everyone, her parents, her friends, everyone around her, right, was just pushing her to um, have a career to go to graduate school, become a physician assistant, whatever it was. And that's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to get married and have kids and raise them at home. And no one was telling her that that was okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's, that was 20 years ago. But now people are coming out and saying, no, you know what? That is what I want.
0: There is more pushback. I agree. I think that there are places you can find it uh, where you can find sort of like, again, it's interesting though, right? That... To me, it's interesting, and I, and I hate to, to sound like a broken record, but, again, you're connecting it to having children, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and there is just something about a lot of these issues. But the more I think about the left, I'm going to use left and right. The more I think about the left, the more I think they're just against kids. I know that's a weird thing to say because very often they seem to be the most for the children, right? Yeah. Um, But you know, lots uh, they're against they're they're for I guess they're for in some abstract way kids, but just not them having them right, or they don't want to support the structures by which people make choices like this because this is it's this kind of person right that brings out right the best situation right uh, for having children. I mean, we've even seen sociological data on this over and over again: the traditional family is the best for. Uh, children, yeah children right. right we never mention that and we never show it in our media right we always show the father uh, you know strong fathers is bad all that kind of thing right but actually we know the sociological data is different um the um you know we just had a a, a new a uh, big study out that i think pew was even involved in where it talked about the mental health of conservative family the children of conservative families is oh, yeah. uh significantly right. higher yeah. than that of progressive and liberal families you won't hear that anywhere Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it did come out. I mean, it was in the news. So there is sort of this pushback and there are places, uh, one thing you talked about the trad wife thing, um, Rich, there are there's a there's a, a YouTube uh show I watch called Subversive on a pretty mm-hmm. regular basis. It's a lady named Alex Kashuda, and she was very much in the higher echelon asp- aspiration, high career, high tech in that world, right? Mm-hmm. And her story is really interesting because she's like, I did this. And I was like, I was doing it. I was the successful one and I hated it. Mm -hmm. Right. And she's like, you know, she was even like from an Eastern European country had gone to England to do it, you know, and was like part of the jet set in London and just hated it, you know, and said like, this can't be it. Right. Mm -hmm. And started her own journey that has involved some, you know, uh, contact with Christianity but not just Christianity but other just sort of I would call traditional human life <laughs> right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know kind of things and that's why her podcast is called Subversion because being traditional like doing the kinds of things pursuing the kinds of goals that humans have produced traditionally pursued right yeah right you know to give neo-traditionalism is is just sort of subversive right kind of yeah. like like this choice i was thinking with tech right that one of the areas i'm concerned with tech mean, we already know along these lines right in this last year we already know right, all the devastating effects of pornography right and the degree to which the internet has made that made that even way worse, right, than it mm-hmm. ever was beforehand. I mean, I think beforehand pornography was a problem. But, I mean, you know, it was like a magazine and it was like, like had these weird covers on it back behind the 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 shelf at the convenience store, you know. You yeah, you ask, had to go out anywhere to buy it. You had it, to yeah. ask for it. yeah. yeah. right. You know? yeah. Uh, or it's in this really shady part of town, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that kind of thing. Well, you know, the internet just changed that overnight
2: right
0: right it just you know it's been terrible for our souls i mean i think going along those lines something that's going to be uh as bad as ai generated um pornography right Mm -hmm. uh and i mean you know i get on my facebook feeds little advertisements on the side that say chat with an ai generated girl now right and i'm just like what is that like you know i mean that's weird like first why would yeah. I want to chat with somebody but anyways like we know mm-hmm. that that's where that's going right is 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 in that direction and one of the the, the really problematic aspects of that is that you know it's very much uh consumer catered or consumer generated and tailored right to um to to the, the the consumer of it which makes it all the more addictive and problematic
1: <laughs> yeah I wrote about this I wrote about this issue not the AI part But the problem of, like, um, masturbation and pornography um, from a moral, like, personalist perspective. I wrote about this some time back uh, for a conference paper, which one day I'll revise and publish. But um, basically, the way I described it was that you have this urge that, of its very nature, draws the person to leave the mereness of himself behind mm-hmm. and reach out to the other sure but it gets truncated and turned back in upon itself mm-hmm. right so that instead of seeking myself in the other i seek the other in myself and 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 that that's um never satisfying in the long run right because the very reason for which the for which that urge is experienced is is never is never brought to fruition um right 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 so you know and this is a it's a different argument i guess from a traditional natural law argument but i don't sure. think it's i don't think it's incompatible with the natural yeah. law argument no, right? I've, I've used it's that true. argument
2: dialectically in class to uh-huh. Suggest to students that, like, if, if this was actually off the table, if masturbation pornography was actually off the table, and you're the limits of your hope for any sort of interaction uh, to fulfill that drive required you to better yourself so that you would be a desirable partner for somebody else, right. then you uh, that that is that's good for you, right? You, yeah. you have to do that so that somebody else will say yes to you, yeah. and then you can be together. Yeah. Right. That's but, right. Yeah. And on
1: this model, you don't have to.
2: Right. right.
1: You just you just remain merely yourself. And worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Worse. You because you you begin to deconstruct yourself. You begin to reduce yourself to just the gratification of that desire. Yeah. And and so when you now introduce uh, AI generated pornography mm-hmm. and AI chat girlfriends or something. which are totally constructed on on the basis of your own inner fantasies, right? Right. It's all you all the time. Right.
2: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's good. Yeah, it affirms you exactly as you are, no matter how bad and perverse you get, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's it's even a little worse now that this AI chat option is there because they can read words generated for themselves that affirm who they are and what they're doing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Um, yeah, it's worse than just the imagination or the images.
0: Yeah, 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 it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's tailor made for enslavement. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, um, a kind of enslavement maybe that feels good for a while. Right. Um, but is is enslaving. Right. What's
2: what's interesting about there being a marketplace for an AI chat girlfriend is that how um, weird it, it, well it's it's weird but okay <laughs> what what it's showing me sorry, sorry. is that um people are actually not satisfied with pornography right because right. there's there's something that's yeah. missing there in their the relationship that, right the, there's some sort of they want this they want an interpersonal connection
1: right. Yeah. yeah
2: right even even as all of our current uh relationships are commodified right they they want something that's not commodified or they don't want to be treated as a commodity right. Mm-hmm. right um so there's this market for that that's suggesting that people want the real thing but unfortunately what has been supplied to them now is yet something else artificial that's not going to challenge them to become better but right. just affirm them as they descend lower and lower
1: yeah right right yeah. And they can't get it for a real human being. <laughs> right, it's yeah. Not yeah. So loses, it's not just because lo- he's a loser. Yeah. Right. It's it's that, yeah. it's that the, whole, the whole of social interaction is now just not productive of such relations. Yeah,
0: it's funny. So there's just been a, a picture going around. Um, and I think this was maybe the UK Mail originally put this out. It's M-A-I-L um the um which a newspaper but it was ran initially as a story of here are I'm, i think i'm quoting uh five um sexy sassy insolvent ladies who can't find men who are good enough for them right and it's all these ladies in their late 40s and 50s who never got married earlier right and they're sassy whatever that means i don't know but uh and solvent means they're well to do right um and apparently sexy and they're like why can't they find adequate husbands right so people have been taking a picture of this and sending it around right mm-hmm. <laughs> giving different answers that are sarcastic but also partly true right about right. yeah probably they can't because most of the like why can't they find good guys because most of the good guys don't want set whatever sassy is supposed yeah. to be right or you could add other things in right and there is this dialect dialectic right now on the internet on youtube right where there is a really interesting and i would say sometimes funny critique of contemporary women not necessarily from a christian perspective but just sort of a like natural rational perspective they're like mm-hmm. hey there's a reason we're not interested in dating and marriage anymore because you guys aren't really meritable, right? Yeah. And then actually it ends up being a bad deal for a lot of men, right? Uh, especially the way divorce laws are set up, right? So it's better to just not get involved. In right. That. So that's a
1: terrible that's and a terrible
0: it, outcome. That redounds back into this yeah. bad situation where, okay, well, I actually do want a girlfriend, but I don't think any of the girls are decent. And so <laughs> like I ended up in this bad situation of, well, yeah, you know, there's this chat GP thing or whatever.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, the uh, so people are going on like um, trips overseas to look for wives, right, from Western countries because they, they 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 don't. Really they men from Western
0: countries are going overseas. <laughs> right, people from to Western them. countries are going yeah, overseas right, yeah, in right, search yeah. of brides yeah. from uh,
1: other from non-Western countries.
0: Non-Western. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: but this goes to that that pushback thing. Right. So these are what we see are terrible outcomes right in the medium term but um but in the end right what you what you have is you have um maybe a a recovery of more traditional ideas mm-hmm. right that there's there's some possible future for them sure. because um people have had enough right and you see this in a lot of different places it's it's in uh the dating marketplace right it's in um uh, it's in economics um it's in politics it's in academia gender theory seems to cover like lots of different aspects of society religion right um right a kind of neo-traditionalism
0: that that's asserting itself yeah 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 i think that that's true i wish it was more but yeah there, that is that is there and i think that is that is a feature like when i um uh talk to students when i engage you know uh you know in internet research um that you do find and that is encouraging mm-hmm. uh you gotta think uh, that sure. Sorry. sorry good no
2: you gotta think that at some point um i think with the experience people have with pornography and being the way that our pornographic society treats people that eventually you will get to a point where you society is at rock bottom and just realizes this isn't good. (laughs) We need to work back somewhere. I I thought it was when I first heard somebody say that women can have, uh, a woman can have a penis, right? Right. Uh But Uh that was not it uh we still, <laughs> yeah. we still kept going yeah
1: where is the bottom action? yeah, look at, yeah what
0: you're looking what you're looking for is that moment of lucidity right yeah right uh, we, where we, we it's say, just clearly hey. so absurd what's going on around me but, uh, you know. so so i want to go ahead then and segue a little bit uh then to talking about politics uh explicitly um because i think this is tied into this question of lucidity uh joe um So I have uh, been engaged in political philosophy and thought for a long time, right? That's kind of what got me interested in philosophy, that and theological questions, right? Were the two kind of things that originally kind of got me interested, right? There were a lot of other things I was interested in in philosophy, but political philosophy was always one of the main things, right? And, you know, over that time, I've had a lot of time to sort of like think differently, right? Kind of go in different directions uh, at different times. I wrote my dissertation on Thomas Aquinas and the Common Good. You know, there have been times, and you know, I've talked about this, where I've tried to sort of think, well, what's the best way to translate Thomistic ideas about the Common Good into our contemporary politics, right? And in sort of hopefully, you know, well meaning Aristotelian ways of trying to like look at. I'll say American ideas, and understand them as best I could in a way that is Aristotelian and Thomist. Did you follow me, right? Um, but uh, and so try to you know kind of I would say as a matter of historical reality um, that the backdrop theory involved in American polity right has been liberalism. I qualify that strongly with the idea that also there was a lot going on in our culture and historical background that was not just liberalism, right? So it included, you know, a very strong emphasis in Protestant Christianity, um, you know, uh, connections to British customs, all that kind of thing, right? So it wasn't sort of a liberalism in the abstract, Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 various proponents of liberalism have conceded at various times that liberalism only works when there are strong non-liberal components supporting it. Right. So strong culture, strong family, strong, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So if you have enough things built in. Right. Then you can have a kind of liberalism. Right. Um, That is where you try to let people be as free as possible uh, to make individual choices. Right.
2: It's because you can rely on the customs that are reinforcing that, correct?
0: That's right, right. Yeah, that's right. I think there was a point at which we no longer said that, right? But we benefited from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. We 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 did have a set of assumptions, and those were those assumptions were Christian and European primarily. Yeah. Uh, so and when you become
1: hostile to that, it changes everything. <laughs>
0: that's right, yeah. Now, over, over a series of decades, when you deconstruct a European Christian set of cultural assumptions and all you're left with is liberalism, then I think you are actually in bad shape, right? And I kind of think that's where we are uh, politically. That is, even to use the phrase European is kind of sketchy, right? I'm using it advisedly that to say that the historical background of America is European, right? And you wouldn't have gotten a place like America from imperial China. Right. You got a place like America from Europe, and especially from the British part of Europe, right? Uh, and that uh and that Christianity was a big part of that, right? Well, we've deconstructed that over 20, 30, 40 years now, to where Christianity is not really a public, at least not the public force it once was, and that basically Europeans are evil. Right. They're all colonializing imperialist, racist, homophobes and sexist. Right. Basically. Right. So that, you know, if you really if you're a good leftist, you should. Hate most. Of your your, your European ancestors, if you have European ancestors. Right, mm-hmm. Correct. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's the truth. Right. Because they're all good. The truth is, I mean, this is the left is correct about this most Europeans were racist in some way, right? I would say in a way that most civilizations and most cultures have been, right? As in preferring their own, right? Uh And thinking that their own were a little bit better, right? Um, Now, you could take that to extremes or whatever, but I think that that was, that's true, right? And so once you get into your mind that that's the worst thing, then you're going to say, well, my ancestors suck. I hate them, right? They're all racist. Um, So anyways, the... um, I think you know, once we've deconstructed all of that to where there's no ethos or ethnos <laughs> right, that ties us together, all we're left with is liberalism. And I just don't think it's sufficient to help us get to that point of lucidity, Joe.
2: Well, I think I, that's certainly true. Um, like the, the question, though, that seems important here, um, it's the same sort of question I have uh, for folks that just point to Vatican II as like a source of many problems. I always say that, well, Vatican II was uh, conducted, you know, in the time of Vatican I, and Vatican I was was its own time as a time of the old mass and things like that, right? And Mm -hmm. so I want to know what, if we once had these customs, Mm -hmm. we lost these customs at a time when we had these customs, right? And so at one time, these customs were working together and reinforcing uh, what was good in liberalism. And then somehow we lost the customs, even when we had the marriage between these two things that are supposed to work and preserve us from
0: our present situation,
2: I have a clear answer to that. Uh,
0: The clear answer to that is is that the customs aren't enough, you also need power. And that we slowly lost the power. We've lost the power in institutions. And when you lose the power in those institutions, then you lose the customs, right? Once you have the power of replacing personnel, deciding the faculty, deciding all the bureaucrats in the system, right, then you the the custom can be changed, right? And it only takes a cadre. It doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes a cadre of determined people, right, Yeah. to uh, grab power, right? And this is kind of along the lines of my criticism of some on the right, is I don't think that, and why I don't think, I don't think liberalism under the terms in which we had it is recoverable right i think that project's over the reason that project is over is i don't think we're under the conditions under which we can regenerate those non-liberal factors that would support liberalism right we're under a situation in which we're in kind of no man's land kind of a combat land kind of a you know not apocalyptic, but you know, kind of the like from a cultural spiritual point of view. Right. Uh-huh. And, and such that mm-hmm. the way to read do that is like, we, we're not in a position where we can say, Oh, well, we'll get the right politics once we get the right culture. I think what actually has to be the case is the right people need to get the power. And then once they have the power, then they can create the situations in which we have a good culture.
2: Yeah. But I
0: think the, I think, Under our current situation, I don't think we can regenerate those non-liberal conditions. So you're suggesting that
2: the material conditions have changed so much that the right regime is no longer the same old liberal regime? Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't think the
0: right regime under our current circumstances is like a lot of liberalism with a lot of non-liberal cultural support. That may have worked. Right. And been a wonderful thing. But it's gone. And since it's gone, I think the way to repow- do it is, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta recapture the institutions and the power, right. Um, in order to, um, to do that.
2: Just, just to clear up my question on the causes here. Uh, you said earlier that the customs declined because we lost power, uh, I guess in government and, in, and probably the universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I guess my question is still though, all right, those folks that pursued power in the universities mm. and in politics uh they were clearly or at least it seems to me clearly not influenced by the present custom mm. and so where did they come from mm. um do you have a thought about that
0: uh, you know uh we had talked about that before uh with our friend uh deacon gorman is that right gorman yeah yeah i mean i do think that they're you know, customs are helpful. Nothing is a guarantee. I mean, right? Sure. Good laws and good customs uh, are helpful and 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 highly effective in some cases. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean but, to say that
2: it's a guarantee. I just want to know what sure. was the uh, what was think, the shot that sunk the ship here?
0: I think in one uh, if you one thing is what happened to mainstream, a good question to ask that in America is what happened to mainstream Protestantism, right? Because mainstream Protestantism wasn't always liberal, right? In America, right. Um, that's a good question, but also I think our elites kind of sold us out. Right. As in, I always think they're going to be elites in society. I think they had, mm-hmm. being anti-elitist as a per se position is silly, right? You got to have to have, uh, leaders in elitists, right. Or elites at some point. I think our, our group of elites over a period of time kind of sold us out. I mean, I think people like, uh, Woodrow Wilson folks of that nature, um, you know, adopted socialist or other aligned theories uh, over time. Um, But it doesn't take too many, right, Um, of the elite class to go wrong, right, Um, in order for uh, the institutions to go the other way, especially if they're well-placed.
2: So the suggestion then is that it's it's the old conflict, the one that goes all the way back to the Roman Republic, which our founding fathers had in mind, and they tried mm. to put bulwarks up against, and it just, like the Roman Republic, it wasn't enough.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, it worked for 200 years. Yeah. That's cool. Good. You know, like, I mean, I don't feel like I'm a realist, right? So a, but we have to I'm move on now. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it, it worked for the for that time. Uh, yeah. The Supreme Court played a big role in all that. Those are certainly elite people, you know, uh, uh, for sure. I think, yeah, there's a lot going on there, but I think, yeah, the power dynamics of the, are the ones that ultimately flipped it. Well, one of the interesting, well, of course, things the left
1: them. understands that, though, right? I mean, the the left, I think, more than the right understands the. Their whole language mm-hmm. is power dynamics.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree, and I kind of think that's where you know we 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 should read Dante, but we should also spend a good bit of time reading Machiavelli. You know that, like the. The reality is the the good prince shouldn't just be a good philosopher, right? <laughs> the good prince should know the truths of philo- of right reason and theology, but he should he's, he needs to be apt to the ways of power politics, right? Uh, otherwise, he's just gonna lose, right? I mean, we want the good guys to win, right? I don't want to lose, right? I mean, if it's you know as uh, as uh, the uh, the lead actor says in um. Uh, uh, Man for all seasons, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, if God brings us to martyrdom, so be it. <laughs> but until then, <laughs> right, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's our business to do the best that we can to win. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I think, uh, rich, the left does, it, it is better at thinking about terms, of, uh, in terms of power, right? You know, one of the things that they're very good at, a very good example of this is there's something like, you uh, Two to three thousand jobs in the federal bureaucracy that the president can just straight appoint without any congressional approval, mm-hmm. right? These are jobs of all different kinds of levels, like sub deputy to the blah blah blah, right? Right, it's part of the federal bureaucracy, right? Well, President Obama, when he came in, this is the way the left is very good at this. They filled every single one of those positions, right? And they filled them with, uh. Committed left loyalist, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Trump comes in. He can fire all those people if he wants, right? Right. He doesn't. He hardly fires any of them, and doesn't even replace the the, a lot of the positions that are empty. Right now, I think that's because he didn't know. You know, like Chris Christie was his transition guy. That's really hilarious thinking of that now, right? Right. But Chris Christie was his replacement guy. And Chris Christie didn't think Trump was going to win. Trump probably didn't think he was going to win, right? Um, There were a couple of people who thought he was going to win, but it was pretty small. Um, But, like, he just didn't do. What you needed to do is fill that bureaucracy with hard right loyalists, right? That's that's the way you wield power effectively.
1: Yeah, and up until that point, like, every president understood that, it
0: seemed, coming in. Trump's well, a the one. the left is better than the right, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would, that would, yeah. Well, um, so my, my yeah. I thought about that makes me think in terms of our philosophical rhetoric, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I'll put I'll put this down to free speech. Is it could get get concrete, right? We for a while complained on the right about cancel culture and complained on the right about a lack of free speech on universities and uh, social media, things of that nature, right? I think those arguments are just okay-ish, you know? But where we, you know, uh, a good example of the right uh, being effective was in the uh, resignation of the two uh, college presidents recently. That was right-wing cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And it worked. That's, and, and, and there's all sorts of leftists out there who are in universities who are saying, gosh, man, you gotta be careful now. Right now. That's probably an exaggeration, a little bit of hand wringing, but you know, um, I think the, 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 the days of of trying to defend our positions with free speech and, uh, that sort of thing, probably we're better off, uh, -hmm. imitating the left and say, you know what? We'll cancel you right? Um, uh, that's our response, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. like, that that view with respect to speech, right? I mean, error has no right.
1: Right. <laughs> so, you're our- kind of describing from um, at least a sociological point of view, a kind of uh, an existential crisis. Yeah. Like the, basically, the, um, you have incommensurable values there's no
2: and a breakdown of communication right if if it if we're trying to wield power and cancel culture uh we're not using the arts of persuasion anymore
1: well what do you i think what
2: what maybe i misunderstand
1: is, is talking about though with the you know the um using power using cancel culture um which the left had been happy to do for quite a while right sure um it's basically saying that you've got irreconcilable positions, right? They can't really coexist in the same society, right? Uh, true, yeah. One will push the other out. The question mm-hmm. is, which is it going to
0: be? Yeah, I would put it this way, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are always guard. they are always uh, even within a pre- unless you're libertarian, right? There are always some limits on free speech, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, where do you draw them, right? Mm-hmm. It was interesting discussion in those congressional in that congressional hearing is saying um um Palestine from the river to the sea is saying um um intifada, right, forever. Is that genocidal? Is it hate speech? See, we got this new category called hate speech, right? That came in about 15 years ago, right? And that and was a product of the left. That was a product of the left, right? It was very clever and well done um by which they could exclude certain speech right um and still say they're for free speech right i'm for free speech not for hate speech right Mm -hmm. kind of thing right now our response to that and to some degree rightly so up to a point was well hate speech is silly or hate speech is just a way of getting around Mm -hmm. free speech or blah 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 right and i think those arguments are kind of correct ish but you know um And it kind of the way this congressional hearing went was like, well, what, you know, is this language hate speech that you're protecting or is it not? Right. It's kind of got them kind of knotted up uh, in a way. And so that was, I think, to some degree effective. But instead, why don't we just say, you know, like we're for free speech as long as it's true.
2: Mm -hmm. You can say that
0: Um, I'm for free speech as long as it's uh, not subversive. Yeah, I mean those are would be
2: fought over, though. You know, true.
1: Yeah, super- so people would accuse you Good. of McCarthyism.
2: It that's is a fine. better conversation to have, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, in that like that's
0: what they're doing too. So yeah. let's stop playing the well, right. free speech true. game. It is. What let's play the true/false game. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're right, and you're wrong, and that's why I'm gonna I- get to a, a, a <laughs> fundamental
2: like point of philosophical departure we have from them where we like the trans discussion we were having earlier where sure. we measure the real from you know the the body soul composite and they measure the real in a very <laughs> right. different way right? right right uh that's good though I mean it, to force that conversation would be good. I don't know that they are competent to have that conversation with us. Right. And so I I do wonder um how how you proceed just through dialogue with that. Um, well, I I think Dr. Smith
0: is saying you don't, I think, yeah, Yeah. you win, you win. And you, and so one thing that I've been really interested in is I got, I got a little phrase for this is, um, red schools for red States. There is no reason our educational system in red States should be leftist. Yeah. The educational system in Tennessee should be straight. Right. Uh, I mean, we control all the counties. We control all most you know most of the mayor positions. We control the state legislature by super majorities that are ridiculous, right? We could take the uh, we could take the Tennessee Board of Regents and design huh. curriculum that all cuts right. Uh, we could do the same thing. You know, you know. I mean we could go in that direction. And then we could have interesting debates between Thomas and Scotus. Right? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> there we could have the liberty of the schools, right? I mean, uh, kind of like the Catholic so Church. So the right? thing you is, know.
1: Ben, what what you're saying, of course, sounds really terrifying to a lot of people, right? Yep. <laughs> um, it sounds like fascism.
2: Yep.
1: <laughs> uh, right, authoritarianism. What I find interesting about it, though, is that you're if you actually look at the logic of your proposal, you're only proposing that the exact same thing that's being done now is done by different people. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, if I if I actually, like, think, well, what what has happened with higher education? What has happened <laughs> right. with the major institutions, right?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, they have become completely dominated by leftist ideologues. Right. And um, they use their power to secure uh, and advance that position.
0: Sure. I mean, yeah. how did it how did it turn out that that so many American kids? I, this wasn't the case. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Like in the 1980s and 90s, when I was growing up, the kids didn't hate America. You yeah. know, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but it was on the fringe. You know, like uh-huh. that was you know kind of weirdos and stuff. You know, like the vast majority of people were either indifferent, right. Or, you know, they were kind of just naturally patriotic, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, definitely what I like about the proposal is it doesn't seem to be purely reactionary and that's the way conservative politics seems to be, or seems Mm -hmm. to have developed. So for so long, right. It's the left proposes something new and wild and the right says, no, please (laughs) Stop.
0: Right. Uh, Over and over again
2: while the needle moves. That's right. But uh, if you're suggesting something different, right, like especially moving away. So conservatism is always looking backwards. Right. But there seems to be a sort of brand of conservatism, if I can even call it that, that you're 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 pushing here. That's not just saying, let's rebuild the old republic. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe long term that is what would happen, but the means to there is not backwards but forwards. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something different that needs to be done. Sure. Um, so uh you want to wield the power of the political systems that are in place mm-hmm. to achieve your end, uh without everyone on your side. That's what that's what I'm hearing. That seems yeah, sort of fair. Sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that's what the statesman ought to do under these circumstances, right? I mean, at the end of the good end of the day, any 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 you know, chivalrous uh, has to be judged by yeah. the bonum commune, and we aren't there. <laughs>
2: <But> take take <laughs> yeah. the 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 sort of mantra that a president often says, something like, uh, "I'm the pres. I'm, I was elected by one party, but I'm here to represent everyone." Mm-hmm. You're saying no.
0: <laughs> right right i mean i think that's kind of i mean the the biden <clears throat> you remember when biden got up there and had that creepy background it was kind of like black <laughs> yeah. and red the dark red. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. and he's kind of like this anti-baggot thing and i'm like i don't want to come across that strongly and if and i think if you were a smart politician your rhetoric would be rightly keyed right right but the truth is right that you um are for i mean i might say something like the common good of the nation, right? Right. Uh, and, Cause and people who know know what you mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right, that's right. right, right. People like us, right? But the uh, but um, but that's the you know, uh, I think that's kind of where you are, you know. Uh, it's it's too bad, uh, that it's gotten to that point, but I think that just kind of, I mean, Aristotle and Plato teach us, right, that that regimes change, history moves on, peoples change, um, no polis last forever you know under its current regime i think it's interesting right that they spend so much time talking about the change of regimes right Mm -hmm. they 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 recognize it's a thing that happens you know and so maybe we were a republic and maybe we won't be a republic anymore maybe we have to be an aristocracy or something like that uh properly rightly understood um so i guess the
1: the political philosophy question really at this point is um what kind of polis can a given society actually um actually have mm-hmm. right so what in, in other words you you can't you can't just have any polis in any society that was sort of that sure that neocon mm-hmm. experiment of right to, you're right about that yeah representative yeah. democracy right yeah
0: but yeah
1: every country on the planet sure um, yeah yeah
0: work. so yeah i don't think like catholic monarchy is you know as a candidate you know for us that's probably be a whole uh fun discussion uh-huh. uh about uh for another episode but, um, but you'd have to be something that you know kind of analogous maybe to what we have, but also significantly different. Um, I think, uh, at some point going forward, at least in terms of the way we need to think about those issues, I think, and the way we want to frame them, I think we have to start thinking about power as an instrument for achieving the good, not just the evil.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> one of the fun things about teaching Plato and Aristotle is how. Especially Plato. <laughs> <laughs> right. People are so, uh, by my students at least, they very quickly became anti-democratic uh, mm-hmm. sort of elitist. <laughs> 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 talk right. about bronze souls and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Sure. Vain, you know, uh, so there's, I think, uh, certainly people out there are, are amenable and they can see, I think, problems with uh, liberal culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. It, you can see it now more than ever. Right. Yeah, I think actually, in an odd sort of way, people are more um, open to recognizing the limitations of our current arrangements.
2: But this know? is this is sort of what you're proposing, right? Is sort of out of bounds in the same way that prior to Trump, a lot of conversation was out of bounds. Mm. Uh, not that people weren't talking about it in communities like this, right? Mm. And there's always been people against the sort of things that Trump was against. But Trump, in his bombastic and explosive way, sort of Mm. opened up the discussion for more moderate discourse about it. Mm. Uh, You almost need somebody like that who's just loud and angry and
0: probably (laughs) probably has a stronger position
2: on it than you do. So that when you come into the scene... You seem like a nice, moderate, rational,
0: <laughs> moderating uh, force. <laughs> yeah.
2: right. and I don't, I think, I think, yeah, I think what you're saying will be uh, helpful in some communities, but I'm not even sure that the right in its present condition is ready for that. Right. Democracy is still a really strong word
0: Yeah. Uh, I th-
2: in conservatism.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think that there is uh, a right uh, out there. Uh, that's kind of your age and a little older uh, and a little younger. Um, it's more open to this than there was say ten years ago or fifteen years ago for sure, but you're right. I think it takes the time. I mean, I think there's a strong like what uh some people call uh you know, sort of boomer conservatism, right? you know I mean that has to go you know under this auspice. you know we can just kind of salute it with respect. <laughs> You know, sort of thank you for uh, your service. Thank you for your service. This was wonderful. <laughs> you know, maybe well remembered. You know, that kind of thing. Uh can't wait um, to study about you in history. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're turning the page. Well, I don't want to monopolize, but those are some, you know, kind of thoughts that there is a there, there one other thing about this, Joe, is there are journals like Compact, which have big time writers on it who who are can describe themselves as post liberal. Uh, so I think that language is kind of beginning to be out there, even in some places that are a little bit unusual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. so, uh, our last, I think point here, atop, you know, sort kind of heading here, I know we've gone long, but I think it's worth it. Uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, all of this of course is connected to, and in some way blows back into the life of the church. Uh, you know, obviously our faith guides us in thinking about these things a lot. We could talk about them philosophically, as we have a lot today, but they obviously talk about them theologically. Um, What are your your thoughts, you know, sort of, Rich, uh, I guess in the last year, last year and a half, on developments within, I guess both within the church, but also in the church's relationship to the modern world?
1: Yeah. Well, it sure has been an interesting ride.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah,
1: Um, for sure. So... Here's let me just cut to the chase on it my diagnosis okay mm. so the the past year maybe the past several years, but I would say the past year in particular has been driven in the Catholic Church largely by the um German synodal way yeah. right but that particular project and concerns from Rome that um they would simply just um do what they wanted to do um and and what they want to do is obviously schismatic i mean it's obviously heretical mm-hmm. as a group i don't i mean there are individual bishops there who are different right but mm-hmm. um but as a group the german synodal way is just heresy and gotcha. um the um and so there's back and forth between rome and the german bishops conference the synodal way telling them to rein in and so forth well then at the end of the year we get um we get the decree from the um the castry for the doctrine of the faith about the possibility of um, providing blessings for couples in irregular sexual unions including Mm -hmm. uh, same-sex couples. And the language there is kind of ambiguous and leads to an instant amount of controversy, right? So the prevailing theory about what motivates it is, um, and I know there are people with all kinds of different views on this, right? There are those who are going to say that um, it's just, you know, the German synodal way um, in the official church, but, but one I think the prevailing interpretation is that the um, the idea is to try to keep the Germans in the fold, to give them just enough to not go into mm. schism. Gotcha. Um, and so to find some language in which you can you could you could give them a yes on something, but really a no doctrinally, dogmatically on on everything they actually want. Now, if you if you're paying attention to the Germans, mm, mm-hmm. you know that they're not going to be satisfied with that. They're smarter than that, and um, it's not what they want. So mm. the decree immediately lights a fire in the church. The Germans aren't satisfied, and now the um, you know the JP two B sixteen types, right? And mm. I would put myself in that camp are recoiling against the ambiguity in the language and what it says about, um, uh, you know, the relationship between um, divine acts like blessings and Mm. um, immoral behaviors, right? Right. Um, And so literature just immediately appears all over (laughs) the the Catholic press, right, in response to this. And meanwhile, in spite of the statements throughout the document that that do i I will defend it in this way say you can't do this you can't do that you can't this is the dark this is the doctrine of the church nonetheless photograph of james martin blessing a same-sex couple Mm -hmm. holding hands right um Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's just all over the place immediate abuse well the declaration said there wouldn't be any further clarification, but then within what a couple of weeks of its life, a clarification, <laughs> right? right? And the right. clarification, um, again, has to double down on the church's constant teaching and tradition regarding mm-hmm. sexuality, uh, and, and the moral law that surrounds it. So, I would say that if you were on if you were on the left of these things, to use that language, mm-hmm. all right. Um you probably were cheering when that declaration came down. But two weeks in, you probably now are coming to realize that that declaration was a disaster for you. Um because it it really I think it really Put in stark relief what the issues actually are, okay. and um, and where the teaching of the church just has to be and can't and, and can't can deviate from.
0: Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Um, so I, I think actually it turns out the declaration is a victory for the right. We see. I know that's what, a strange position to maintain, but sure. I'm saying sociologically,
0: we see we see these de- this development right. It does seem as if, right, the church is, and and to some degree, I mean, this is what the church should do, right? The church is engaged with the world, right? The church isn't in itself, uh, you know, um, a Carthusian monastery. We love Carthusian monasteries, right? But that's not the whole of the church, right?
1: right? It's one dimension of the church.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, it should be engaged with the world. Right. It should be uh interactive uh, with it, right? And and obviously this issue, right? I mean, you could even say this is kind of almost passe. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I do like I do kind of reflect in sympathy with your remarks, Rich. I mean, we're talking about maybe you're talking about maybe a blessing, right? Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that's kind of behind the curve. Uh, as far as yeah. the rest of the world is concerned, right? So the rest of the world's it. already moved on to like transsexual. I mean, like, you know, yeah, yeah. like this is way behind the times, you know? But, uh, um, uh, nevertheless, I mean, it definitely is an involvement with the zeitgeist. Um, I guess there's a better and worse way to be engaged, though, right? With, yeah. The, the, the zeitgeist and, um, I guess it depends on the on what time you think it is, right, in mm-hmm. terms of the zeitgeist. Like, what's the weight of it, right? I mean, obviously, there's always going to be light and shadow Until the Lord returns, right? There's going to be light and shadows in mm-hmm. culture and time, right? It's always the case, right? How you engage with it, I guess, though, to some degree depends on your relative optimism, pessimism, Evaluation, yeah, right.
1: and I think the church has been hit or miss in terms of its accuracy and telling time, um, it, it culturally, right? Mm. Like, what position it's going to maintain vis-a-vis the culture. Um, right, right. I think its its history is one of hit and miss, right? Sometimes it takes exactly the right stance at the right time, and sometimes it
0: mm-hmm. just doesn't. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the major criticisms that came from people like Ratzinger and Wojtyla, um, leading up to the Second Vatican Council, was that the anti-modernist, um, the anti-modernist movement in the Church had just gone on too long, and that, um, and that the world was just leaving the Church behind completely. We were mm-hmm. we were unable to influence the world because. Um, nothing we said was even in the conversation they were having anymore and i think there's some accuracy to that Mm -hmm. uh i think i think that's not a completely incorrect position um the um now today right i think that we also don't fully understand where we are Mm -hmm. and i think that even at the time of the second vatican council gaudium at spes was maybe a bit pollyannish in the way that it um engaged the modern world right
0: mm-hmm. like
1: we all really want good things for everyone <laughs> it's a general presupposition we right? all want justice we agree on the common good yeah <laughs> and that just isn't true
0: it's not true yeah that not true, the same thing. right yeah
1: so true. the failure to recognize that i think led to a, a a lot of problems for the church in the time following the second vatican council I'm not an anti-vatican II guy you know that sure right I'm a you know I'm a jp2 b16 kind of guy and um I I like gaudium et Spes well enough but I do recognize as Ratzinger did mm-hmm. that it's not a flawless document uh and that um you know that it was a little naive in some ways mm-hmm.
2: I want to ask about the anti-modernism thing um I I guess I see the problem. If we're just, um, if we let the world leave us behind, it seems like we'll just be some strange relic on the side. But what you also notice, at least I think maybe, maybe especially in my generation is that there's there's a number of folks that see the really old things in the church as particularly interesting. And as far as, the modern zeitgeist sense of religion Mm -hmm. right there's this strange movement back to the old oldest pagan sorts of things people can find Uh which are in no way right modern or contemporary yeah um so i i guess i'm conflicted i and i guess my tendency is to just say well let the world sail right off the edge of the world <laughs> um i if not, maybe they'll hit rock bottom and then still give them a safe harbor when they yeah. need
1: it. there might be a time for that and for all i know we're in that time right now I, i'm not really sure but um but no when i say that the the time for the anti-modernist movement had passed and that the world was leaving us behind what i'm saying is that um Really, the whole dialogue had become something completely different. We weren't even in modernism anymore. We were already in postmodernism mm-hmm. by the time by the time we abandoned the anti so anti-modernism, like who are you even talking to anymore, right? Um we're reacting against things nobody's even doing. Okay. But postmodernism, mm-hmm. well that by then was a that was a thing. And we we had nothing to say to it. We weren't even anticipating the terms of that debate. Um, but people like Ratzinger and Wojtyla were, but the official position of the church hadn't caught up yet. Now, unfortunately, Gaudium et Spes and its um position, right, with respect to the world, I think is what ultimately set most of the terms for the church's engagement with the world, rather than a more sophisticated mm-hmm um philosophical, you know, like a recognition of the philosophical state of affairs. Sure. Which is what we find in Ratzinger and Wojtyla, and mm. others as well, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it is interesting. You do find uh John Paul II later on in his pontificate um expressing uh disappointment and surprise um that he didn't recognize, and I think he meant, you know, sort of him and his colleagues. Uh-huh. Um, he they did rec- he did recognize the degree to which totalitarian communism was uh, opposed and evil, mm-hmm. but didn't recognize how difficult or how inimical. So I should say how inimical Western consumerism was to the spiritual life of Catholics. Mm-hmm. Uh he recognized that later, you know, it seems a, but maybe not as much on the uh at the time. Now, I mean, and you know, I mean you can be forgiven mistake. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. obviously the Soviet Union is is a whole different deal, uh um than Western consumerism, which can be evil but is evil in ways that are more uh or less obvious to see. Right, I mean, you're not sort of, I mean, you don't, you're not talking about gulags and Stalin yeah. and things like that, right? Um, uh, as much.
1: And the the difference is in anthropology that we're at work in contemporary Western society that, um, you know, in comparison to what the Church actually affirms,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: they're just really not compatible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, anyway, all that stuff really got kind of glossed over after the Second Vatican Council, and I think mm-hmm. that's what put the Church in a position to let the world walk all over us and, 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 and now, and, and sort of become a clay that the world shapes in mm-hmm. its own image. Um, But, you know, the church is still the church and sure. it's got a kind of substructure that ultimately the, the world won't be able to reshape. Mm-hmm. And I think that we we're maybe reaching a point at which we're coming up against, you know, as you sort of press your, press your hands into that clay and try to, try to work the church up into the image you want it to be, you, we're coming to that point where the resistance is too strong.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just, you're not going to be able to go any further than that.
0: That's and interesting. Maybe,
1: yeah. I mean, that's my hopeful, my
0: mm-hmm. hopeful
1: read. True. And that from this moment of crisis, um, the church will kind of shut out new, new shoots. There'll be new growth.
0: Yeah, good, good. Well, that's, a, that's a, a a welcome note of optimism and hope there to to end on. Rich, I appreciate I that. I have my moments. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, guys, I really enjoy, uh, appreciate you joining in on the conversation. And uh, I hope that uh, our listeners and viewers uh, benefited from what we had to say. If you did enjoy it, uh, please be sure to uh, like our video, share it with others. Um, go over and check out our website at catholicstudies.com. Find a lot of other great content there. Uh, Again, thanks so much for listening. Guys, thanks for participating. Until next time, God bless.